Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, oh intrepid listeners. If you find one day much like the next, just letting you know, today truly is Friday. The plucky crew of GMGP would like to wish those who partake a happy Easter and a joyous Passover. For those not that traditional, happy International Safety Pin Day. Our guests on Greyhounds Make Great Pets today are Dr. Linda Blythe, and I'm pretty sure Dr. Maury Craig will also be joining us. Both of them are co-authors of Care of the Racing and Retired Greyhound, and they will be giving us updates on how the COVID-19 health crisis can impact our pets. So much has changed since they joined us less than four weeks ago. Quarantine, lockdown, shelter in place are the new lexicon. But how can we give our pets a familiar routine without risking their health or ours? Greyhound adopters affectionately refer to themselves as a cult. But the new normal has changed everything for us, from picking up a bag of kibble to adoption itself. Today, we hope to provide you with information that is a benefit to all that are listening. But before the good doctors join us, I'm sure Rory and TJ have a few things to share with us. Guys? Well, for, first, I've got to say, um, for those that heard the barking during the intro, I believe that would have been Miss Lena letting the delivery guy know to stay six feet away from our house. <laughs> Indeed it was. <laughs> yeah, she is such a little social distancer. <laughs> exactly. Hey, and listen, being that she sent the alarm out, I need to go check what's out there. So I will be right back. Okay. TJ, how are we doing today? Now I'm doing great. How are you? Real good. And I'm real excited with our two guests today, uh, Dr. Blythe and Dr. Craig. Um, been a wealth of knowledge to the Greyhound community. But I know before uh, we start getting into a little bit of the COVID-19 impact, I think, TJ, you kind of wanted to just, uh, you had a little question you wanted to ask them. Uh, so I'll let you kick it off. Okay. Um, first, I'm excited to have them both back. Uh, that's a, a wonderful thing for me. Um, I met Dr. Blythe actually back, oh gosh, what was it, around 2000 when uh, Greyhound Pets of America had their annual conference in Las Vegas, and I had just procured my Care of the Racing Greyhound book and uh, got her autograph, and I uh, forgot to bring it out to Abilene last summer to get uh, Dr. Craig's autograph, and I'm going to have to rectify that at some point in time. I'm a little bit starstruck, actually, uh, to, to be in their presence and to have, have been in their presence and thoroughly enjoyed having dinner with them last summer, uh, which <laughs> coincided with my birthday, so I hope uh, all of you had a, a good chuckle or two at my expense on that one. Um, <laughs> but the main thing I wanted to say is... Um, <sighs> the 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 great protectors, as they call themselves, of greyhounds, um, who played major roles in having the greyhounds kicked out of Florida, as I like to say it, um, have a lot going for them with a donate button, and uh, it, it does go to pay their salaries and business expenses primarily, including lobbying. But what I've noticed I don't seem to be able to find, and no one else can either, is any sort of credentials that give them any sort of um, inroads or authority to speak about animals, uh, amazingly enough. So with our guests that uh, do have those types of credentials, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and ask you to, to give our listeners your credentials. Okay, um, this is Linda I'm a DVM out of UC Davis. I got a PhD out of Davis. Um, and I have a special interest in uh, neurology and uh, regenerative uh, therapy. Um, I'm a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine. Those are credentials I put after my name. Wow. And I'm just a loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Me too. I have <laughs> greyhound adoption out the side of mine. <laughs> And Maury? Um, so I'm Dr. Maury Craig. Um, I have a PhD in biophysics. Um, I was uh, U.S. Coast Guard Academy in my first life. Um, I uh, did a lot of the drug testing um, and was for 26 years a chief of drug testing on the Iditarod and set up a lot of the protocols that are used uh, by the Greyhound industry. Um, and in fact, worked a lot um, with Kansas State, um, who set up some drug testing that uh, is used for your spring and fall uh, meets. And then besides that, we do some toxicology work because um, uh, we've I've taught veterinary toxicology along with Dr. Blythe and Dr. Pearson for years, and um, uh, we teach the uh, vet students with respect to uh, a number of the different um, toxins that can come along. And and uh, in the long run, we've come up with a discovery called phytoruminal bioremediation, which uh, has turned into be a pretty big deal. It's how ruminal microbes will be able to degrade munitions and oil spills and stuff like that. So it's sort of an agricultural solution to um, cleaning up the environment. So that's that's the part, and I've been in uh, basically working with a number of my colleagues on research as well as developing new ideas. So, so those are my credentials. Well, I think um, along with the love of Greyhound, I think the one thing maybe you and I have maybe in common um, is because you were uh, Coast Guard Academy and I was in the Navy, so maybe we both have flushed a lot of salt water at some point in time in our life. <laughs> I've fed a few fish, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, the Coast Guard goes out when the seas get heavy, <laughs> and when the right. seas get heavy, you uh, sometimes... Um, Feed fish. <laughs> yeah. But with, with what, what uh, TJ was mentioning, um, I've seen it over the years, and I guess well, maybe people, listeners, don't know. In Arizona, I'm a racing commissioner charged with uh, overseeing, uh, for a while, greyhound racing and horse racing. And over the years, I've seen um, these people, Christine Dorchek and Carrie Thiel, they will use bits and parts of your book, trying to twist it into a way, and these politicians will buy it. For me as a regulator, and I would I would challenge any politician, senator, representative out there that's dealing with greyhound things, when you have a real question or these people are bringing things to you, call the experts. That's what I do. I call Dr. Blythe or Dr. Craig and talk to them when I'm starting to see things. And that's what really, I think, will benefit the world of horse racing and greyhound racing, um, sled racing, whatever it is, talk to the experts. Don't listen to these people who have an agenda to bring about the end of sled racing, horse racing, greyhound racing, showing great dogs. You know, talk to the experts. You're really right, Rory. It would have saved yeah. a lot of problems, I think, in Florida if, if people would have really had the real facts in front of them instead of the propaganda that got pushed through. Right. And these people are not about benefiting, bringing about welfare. They're about destroying livelihoods. They're about destroying the breed. They hate animal welfare. Let's just, let's put it, be blunt. They hate animal welfare. They're just using animal welfare for their agenda to destroy lives, destroy breeds, destroy, they're just about destruction. And, right. to, and so with that kind of said, um, I know we talked about four weeks ago and have been seeing some articles floating around. That, um, well, I, first of all, I do think you have an update on the little, uh, what was it, a Pomeranian? Uh, if you could give maybe our listeners an update on that. Okay, do you want me to do that? Sure, whichever one of you. You're the Pomeranian. expert. 17-year-old yes. Pomeranian lived in Hunan, lived with an owner who was positive for uh, COVID-19 and um, ended up having uh, a virus isolation from its um, 
nasal passage in feces at a very light level a couple of times, and uh, but never was sick, never was sick. And so then they quarantined it, and then they got two negative tests after that, and they turned it back to the owner, and three days later it died. It was 17 years old. It had concurrent other problems, and the owner refused an autopsy or necropsy, and so it is not known whether it had an illness related to COVID-19. Subsequently, they tested the blood again um, for antibodies, and it did have antibodies on the second try. The first try, they said, no, it didn't have antibodies, and the second try, yes, it did, and that's coming out of China. Right. Now, I think there was another dog or something. Is there any update on that dog and its testing or... Right. There was uh, two dogs with uh, an owner, in again, in Hunan. Uh, one was a German Shepherd, and it. Uh, they tested both dogs. One was a mixed breed. It was negative. The German Shepherd was positive and uh, never developed any clinical signs and then subsequently became negative. And I think that dog is still under quarantine to figure out what's happening with that dog. Right. Now, do you know anything about the um, the tiger? I think it was in the Bronx Zoo. Right. It was. There was a tiger that uh, started showing clinical signs. And so they, um, they have to anesthetize to get things out of tigers to test them. And so they did test it. And, yes, it did test positive for the virus. Uh, and it had contact with some other lions and tigers in the zoo, and they also started showing mild clinical signs. Uh, it is believed they all will recover. They didn't test the other lions and tigers because you have to, you know, anesthetize them, and that's always risky with those big animals. So it, it may be that they got, for sure, got exposed from a caretaker that was now known to be a shedder, um, and he the zoo's closed down now, but. He, they probably got exposed from this caretaker and then developed antibodies mm. and, and developed clinical signs. Oh, wow. Um, I also saw something about um, cats. Well, not, not the big cats, but they were talking more about, like, the stray cats. Is there anything we should be concerned with, the, the stray cats in our neighborhood? Or, um, like myself, well, Kathy and I, we... We have a few stray cats that we take care of. Right. They pretty much stay in our yard. Um, you're lucky that was a greyhound. My 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 greyhound would chase that cat away. But there was <laughs> a report, and it was unsubstantiated. There is a um, publication that puts out what they call pre-print or pre-reviews, um, pre-print of a research article, and that was on the... Uh, the cat in Belgium, and basically they're saying that the cat had clinical signs, respiratory, and but they didn't, and it had diarrhea, and um, so they tested it, and they found out that uh, it had antibodies, and so then, um, but they didn't do complete test of what else that cat might have had. So that one's pretty shaky and hasn't undergone peer-reviewed. So I would probably put limited credibility to that one. But the one you're really worried about um, is the one that came out of Hunan. And there were two of them. One of them is they took some cats and they put the virus up their nose and, you know, they didn't make them sick, but they put them in cages next to other cats that weren't positive, and a couple of those cats got positive, but only a couple. So it can spread from a cat to a cat, um, but again, there's disclaimers on that study. You need to see the peer-reviewed of how that article comes out. The stray cat one comes out of a, another preprint posted on April 3rd by uh, the same organization called BioRVRXIV, BioRVIX. And it, it kind of posts out, try to get news articles out fast. Again, this is not a study that's been um, peer-reviewed or uh, 
uh, viewed by people who need to see it. But basically, they looked at, they took serum from 39 cats prior to March 9th, prior to the outbreak in Hunan. And then they had a hundred, they looked at 102 serums from cats between January and March 20th to see uh, if any of those were infected. So this is kind of a retrospective study. So of the 102 cats, I think the 39 cats were all negative, but 102 cats, 15 were positive, okay? And of the 15 that were positive, three of them were with owners that were positive. So it makes sense that they would have been exposed and they had antibodies. Six of them were in veterinary clinics and were positive, um, but still not clinically affected. And seven of them were strays, and that's what's got everybody upset about because how would these strays have antibodies? Not seven out of 102. Now, antibodies, all that says is that the animal's not infected right now, but that the um, animals uh, have been exposed, okay, and exposed and probably never showed any clinical signs. So there's a lot of silent subclinical things that may go on. Um, that cats can develop it. So we've got one York, Yorkie in Hunan that had antibodies, and we have these uh, 15 cats that had it looking retrospectively back at their blood for antibodies. Okay. Does that make it all clearer? Uh, and and that has that, not been peer-reviewed. So Yeah, that's... That's some good information there. Um, Kathy, TJ, did you have anything um, before I ask my next I did, uh, final question? Okay. I, I, I did. Um, from what I've, I've read, and it, this is, I've been, actually I'm excited to ask you about it. Um, there are a couple of things th- that I would like for you to, to, to touch on. Uh, the first one, keeping along this particular thread, is uh, as far as, what I'm hearing so far, the the animals that have tested positive for it, um, other than the, the the big cats having the clinical symptoms, I believe the, the dry cough, et cetera, and the ones you mentioned about maybe some of the diarrhea in, in the one cat, um, is that they basically, they don't get the problems or we've yet to hear of any that have come down with anything serious enough or there's not anything with proof that, that an, an animal has succumbed to this disease. Is that correct? Not only, that is very correct. They haven't succumbed to the disease. Uh, only the tigers have shown clinical signs so far, um, and there's no, none evidence that they can pass something on to a human. It's more like the human. Well, I would be a little concerned if if someone had that type of close contact um, with a <laughs> with an animal. As much as we love on our animals, I would think that possibly the only way that an animal could turn, transmit it would be if someone that we were infected with the virus maybe sneezed or coughed on the animal and it got in their fur, and then another human had contact with the animal. That type of thing would that be a possibility? If they did it very quickly, and so that's why the okay. recommendation if you're if you're positive, a human positive to this, that you uh, don't pet, kiss, hug your cat or dog or any animal, um, and that you wash your hands and, and wash their dishes separately, um, take some precautions so that you don't expose your animals to this. They don't know how long mm-hmm. it lives on fur because fur is porous. And there's some evidence that when a virus gets on the hair, it it gets absorbed by the hair and becomes inactivated. So, but oh, okay, you, that's good to know. May I jump in at this point? And I'm sort of reminding us of of a conversation four weeks ago that they had determined that the virus could um, stay on stainless steel for up to about. Um, 48 to 72 hours, that it could stay on plastic a little bit less, maybe 24 to 48 hours, but it didn't stay on porous substances very long, and that's where the hair story came in, um, and and isn't easy, and, you know, disappears seemingly off the hair. It was sort of guesstimated at, at maybe eight hours or six hours or something in a short 
period, but they didn't have positive proof of it. But porous substances didn't hold the virus as did stainless steel and plastic. That's interesting. You know, I... There are so many reports out there. I have, my desk right now has a collection. I've collected everything. And some of it's got incomplete data, uh, and they just want to make it sensationalized. But I want to make a recommendation. Um, The American Veterinary Medical Association has um, a website, and on it, it has a complete history of this every one of these cases and how much we can believe out of this, what's pending. And so if, if they, it is free. You just go to American Veterinary Medical Association and you, you click on it and um, it's got all kinds of other things on it, but you can go to COVID-19 in animals. It's one of the categories. It says SARS-CoV-2 in animals, including, including pets. And if you click on that, there's, and it's up to date, it's data, updated April 5th of just, you know, last week. And so getting this information from this source of AVMA, which is also approved by CDC, the Communicable Disease Center, uh, is the best way to understand what's going on and what you can believe, and then they keep updating it, rather than getting into some of these other ones that are more sensational and, and incomplete and not verified in many cases. That's very good so, information to have, and I will do that as soon as we're off the show, as a matter of fact. Uh, I'm always eager to read some of these things, particularly since we deal with so many greyhounds. The, uh-huh. other, the, the last part of mine, before I throw this back to Rory, is could we revisit, please, the coronavirus itself so that people do understand that Number one, if you have your dog vaccinated, it is the the canine version that we know of, so to speak, the coronavirus that 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 we're used to dealing with um, in in dogs. That it's covered within your your vaccinations. But can you please sort of go back and revisit the 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 coronavirus thing, right. and that this is that there are so many different right. strains it, of it in dogs. There's two coronaviruses that cause a disease that we know about. Uh, One is called canine enteric coronavirus. In fact, if you are getting any information in New Zealand, they're having an outbreak of canine enteric coronavirus um, in in these kennels with with greyhounds. I'm on their Mm -hmm. website. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the enteric form. And um, you can vaccinate against that. There's another canine respiratory coronavirus, and this coronavirus for, with dogs is very familiar, or very similar to what's in cows and what's in uh, humans, uh, bovine uh, respiratory coronavirus and human coronavirus, not, not the one we're talking about, the COVID-19, okay? So these are separate. These have been mm-hmm. around a long, long time, and... Um, IDEX, if you get the canine respiratory coronavirus, IDEX, which is a a company that looks at uh, antibodies, it has identification of, we talked about seven respiratory pathogens, all can look the same, distemper, parainfluenza, adenovirus, herpes, influenza virus, and Botertella bronchoseptacum. So, for the respiratory in the canine, it could be multiple things. For the enteric problems, there's a number of things that can cause diarrhea, but there is a coronavirus that can. Now, if you go to cats, it's, it's even more interesting. There is a been around a coronavirus for a long time, and it causes um, enteritis, uh, inflammation of the gut and diarrhea. But the really nasty part of it is sometimes in the gut it mutates and then it goes and uh, creates a disease called feline infectious peritonitis. And that disease is fatal. Um, it causes uh, inflammation of the, all the tissues around the lung and around the gut, and there's no control of it. So that one um, is a, a mutant of the feline coronavirus. All of these that I just mentioned have nothing to do with this one that's in the news, this COVID-19. 
Good. That's, that's some good information, and um, I really do appreciate you and uh, Maury joining us today on the show. Unfortunately, now we've got to go to break because I know Kathy's got to go check to see if our caviar has been delivered, which is the food of Baby Yoda. Uh, so thank you, uh, Dr. Blythe, Dr. Craig, for joining us today. When we come back, we are going to be talking supply chain. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an ex-racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You 
are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. And welcome back to the bottom half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. I'm Kathy, and also on board are Rory and TJ. And I'm just going to toss it back to them because they know what they're talking about. Right. Well, just a few days ago, TJ posted something. Yes, surprise everyone. We do follow each other. And actually, as we talked last week, TJ and I do talk a lot. Um, But TJ, you posted something, and I had seen it too, which was really, you know, sad to see the dairy farmers having to throw milk out um, and and other things. And I know there when this all started, there was a lot of people upset learning that our a lot of our medications, our supply chain for that is we are reliant on other countries. But one thing our country is very strong at, um, because I know you grew up in farm, I grew up in farm country out in California. Um, our farmers, they are the producers of our supply chain of food. And these are people Correct. that we rely on when things happen like this. And it was just sickening to see that. It absolutely was. Um, hey, I had a pet cow <laughs> named Elsie <laughs> uh, when, as I was growing up. And uh, we, we had dairy. Uh, we didn't do any you know, beef cattle or anything like that, but, but we did have dairy. And I've mentioned before, I would be up at 5 to 6 a.m. milking the cows. So um, when, when I saw that, it just absolutely broke my heart, and it infuriated me at the same time. The, um, the, the milk, if you go into stores, I've been into the, to the grocery store. I try to limit it to, to no more than once, once a week or once every two weeks. But um, there's been several times I haven't even been able to find any, you know, the, well, milk, eggs, things like that, and uh, it's it's upsetting that something that we have in abundance here, we can't find, and a lot of it has to do with the supply chain and some of the bigger retails refusing to even accept things from another supplier because they have a contract with this supplier, and if they'd rather have their shelves sit bare and empty than to think outside the box whenever you've got a, a an emergency situation like we have now with this COVID thing going on. Exactly. And for our, our city folk, um, you know, I know, Kathy, you grew up in Chicago, uh, but, you know, I yes, grew up. call out, me Lisa Douglas. Yeah, I grew up in, uh, in a farm country, Imperial Valley out in uh, California. And every time I drive through there now, there's, there's a sign because there's been a fight for water rights, um, L.A. and the big big city areas demanding more water to themselves. And there's a sign is every time you drive through the Imperial Valley, um, it says where the water flows, food grows. And I think these people, they need to understand it doesn't just miracle. It just doesn't magically pop up on the shelf. Our farmers are the ones supplying our food and they're the ones we, even now we need to help them and we need to support them. And going forward, we need to make sure they have the resources, water, stuff like that. We need to stop encroaching on their land and let them grow the food our country needs and support them. I do totally agree with that. And there's so much that a lot of people, um, and I have nothing against anyone who has a vegetarian or even a, a vegan diet. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. But what they do need to realize is that even what they eat comes from our farms. We have the farms here. We grow those things. They need to understand that. There needs to be a respect for farmers. And 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 that goes from from the raising of the beef, the dairy, the vegetables, all of that. And they are suffering right now, and they are having to discard. I, I don't even know how many thousands of gallons of milk they're having to discard right now. And that is such a waste. And it shouldn't be like that. And we should be there helping them. And, the, you know, when we have our restaurants shut down um, and, and the school systems shut down and all that, the, the dairy farmers are depending upon that. And, and now then we, ha- we don't have that supply anymore that the, the ones mainly getting it now are the, the retail stores, the grocers. So, um, and, and I'm talking about the small time and, and the big time grocery stores. 
So there have this is the reason they're having to, to quote unquote dump a lot of this, and it's uncalled for. There should be emergency measures where this milk can be purchased. You know, I'm I'm just a, I'm just going to say it. Contracts be damned. You want to try yep. to have this this product out here for families, for growing children, and things of that nature. And, and there should be a way to have that done, and the farmers be able to continue to do what they're doing, which is actually giving us life because we need these things. We need our, you know, milk, meat, vegetables. I don't care who you are or what your dietary preferences are. I guarantee you one of those three things you eat. Exactly. And you you just brought up something. In tough times or when there's disagreements, we should always try to look for something that we all have in common. And whether you like your steaks or you're a vegetarian or a vegan, there's one one thing we all have in common. We're reliant on our farmers. And just the actually it was just yesterday. Uh, we're having some work done over here at the house next door to us, which I Kathy and I own. And a couple of the people doing some work. They're like, you know, how are your roses? They just look so beautiful. What do you do? It's like, well, uh, every summer I throw cow poop in in the flower bed and turn it into the ground. And they're like. Oh, wow, that's all you do? And so, again, here is something, and I know from growing up uh, where they grew, uh, grew lettuce, um, carrots, onions, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. One of the things they would always do is put cow manure out on the field in, in part of their prep. So the farmer that's got the dairy, or the, um, they, they provide something that helps out the things that the vegetarians and vegans may be eating and growing is that the, stu- uh, the manure. It is a great thing to help your plants grow. So we are all reliant on these farmers, and I think we need to give them more credit and more support than we have over the years, and especially right now, because we do not need our farms closing down. Otherwise, we're going to be reliant on other countries for our food. That is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Oh. Huh. Now, with that said, I know you've been very busy uh, helping out arranging some halls. Do we have uh, any greyhounds moving this weekend that you know of? We absolutely do. Uh, we have uh, currently, as we speak, we have uh, 12 greyhounds going to Texas. Uh, I call them the Texas 12. Uh, they are <laughs> uh, moving right now from Abilene to Texas. And I believe we also do have um, about 40 coming in from Florida to Abilene where they will be dispersed to other Greyhound adoption groups. Yeah, the, I think it was last week uh, we had 40 come into Arizona and I was there. Um, we were all practicing our social distancing. Um, groups came in, got their dogs. Everyone was so happy. A uh, great batch of looking Greyhounds that came from the Sanford Orlando um, track. And... Um, I first, I just want to thank everyone involved. Um, all I know, there's a whole bunch of other halls going on that TJ and myself may not have any hands in or whatever. But I know sure. there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of groups, a lot of volunteers involved. Thank you, everyone, for a great job. I, I know TJ, you've said this, uh, kind of hinted at when we come together, and us, uh, those of us who truly love the greyhounds, love the animals. We do some magical things together. And I will just say it again. The people who brought about an end to greyhound racing in Florida have done nothing to support the welfare of these greyhounds that they have now displaced out of a working job. That is absolutely correct. And that's from trainers taking care of the dogs that are awaiting adoption on to the adoption groups and the National Greyhound Association, um, the AGC, uh, American Greyhound Council. So uh, we are the ones that are are the caretakers of the greyhounds. It is not the HSUS and it is not Grey2K. We are the ones taking care of the greyhounds. Right. And as, a, and as an analyst, I always kind of look at, you know, what has happened so I can say what is going to happen again in the future and I'll, I can just say this, from looking at every place they have brought about the destruction of greyhound racing and put greyhounds in harm's way, they have done nothing to help the greyhounds get into adoption once they have done their dirty deed. And so, again, folks, I'm letting you know now, 
the next state that they had come in to try to bring about an end to greyhound racing, whether it's West Virginia, Iowa, Texas, or whatever, be warned. They will do nothing. Let me repeat this. They will do nothing to help the greyhounds. They do not care about the greyhounds' welfare. They just want to bring about the destruction of the greyhound breed and end greyhound racing. And more specifically, they hate gambling. That's their, another main concern of theirs. They want to bring about an end to gambling. Agreed. That is, uh, that is, as a matter of fact, one of the founders, uh, well, the, the founder's husband of Grade 2K is, is an anti, I, I believe, and you can confirm this, but I have heard that he is uh, a member of a, a stop predatory gambling um, association of some sort. So by moving to have greyhounds and greyhound racing extinguished, uh, as far as that's concerned with the paramutual wagering, it's just simply furthering that agenda. That that is a, it's sort of a twofold agenda that they have uh, going on as their um, their their reasons for disagreeing with greyhound racing uh it's it's yeah. other than just personal philosophy there is no science that backs them up uh in, in any sort of way shape or form uh that that yeah, i believe uh, an attorney even said something along the lines there's not been a single case that he and he's gone back and searched decades of there ever being uh anything that says greyhound racing is 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 cruel so these are things to keep in mind. Right. Now, knowing that we all can change and become better people, I'm going to go ahead and give the offer up right now to prove me that prove me wrong and that you're willing to that you're changing and going to be now about the welfare of the animals. Not only the organization that TJ and I belong to, Greyhound Pets of America National, many other organizations have now spent a boatload of money. I'm talking about charitable organizations are now having to help take care of this. Um, HSUS, Great 2K, you're both more than welcome to send big checks for covering the costs of all these halls. I can tell you right now, one hall alone sometimes can cost anywhere from three to $12,000. So you owe the charitable organizations a boatload of money. Don't say you don't have it because we know you do. Um, you spent millions in Florida, so you shouldn't be able to hurt your pocketbooks at all to send $500,000 to help cover the destruction you have brought about to the greyhound breed and put and left the charitable organization. And it's really tough right now to do fundraising, to do meet and greets because of the COVID-19. So show some heart, show some welfare and cover it. Send us a check right now. I'll ensure that that money goes to the charitable organizations that are taking care of the dogs. Uh, you can guarantee that. And what you hear is probably what I will hear or see. No check. <laughs> I just decided to be crickets on that one since you were going on yeah. with that and, and speaking very eloquently <laughs> about it and, and, and being that cricket, <laughs> letting you have your platform. Um, I, I do have some deep suspicions uh, that it will be no different uh, than, than anything else. I believe in, in Massachusetts there is a letter from the state uh, that that specifically says that none of the organizations that you mentioned did any adoptions unless they were maybe one or two personal ones, but they were not sent out for adoptions being the, via those organizations. Am I correct about that, Rory? You're correct. They did try to take credit for, a, I think it was a s small number, maybe like five or seven greyhounds that went to a shelter, um, and I'll just say it this way, a kill shelter, um, so they were taking credit of like, oh, we did this. Well, you just sent greyhounds, racing greyhounds, to a kill shelter, which means they probably had to turn down other animals to house these greyhounds. So something did die while you were taking credit for just a very small number of greyhounds. Um, and again, they really have done nothing. I know here in Arizona, they yeah, they put up a billboard celebrating um, the end of greyhound racing, and then they had a big party with all their politicians that they had bought off um, celebrating it, but they did really nothing to help contribute to all the movement of the greyhounds. Again, I'll give you, I'll say this, you can change. I, we all know we do change. So 
why don't you all change now and help out the charitable organizations that are stuck dealing with your disastrous bill. You could have put language in Amendment 13 to ensuring there was money to cover this. You did not. You could have coughed up some of this millions of dollars you have to ensure the greyhounds were taken care of. You did not. It's time for change. You know, and I'm sure both of you remember um, several years ago uh, during one of their many um, onslaughts to end racing in Florida, uh, one of the bills they supported or and or proposed, I'm not quite sure, again, of the year this was, um, included language very detrimental to greyhound adoption and that, you know, this was uh, not acceptable in their eyes. And I do remember that caused a big flack. And was, once it was brought to the Greyhound community's attention, as with all things involving um, this lobby organization, um, suddenly everything changed and that language disappeared. Um, it's like they don't move to any type of pressure unless everybody is, you know, aware of it. So by bringing it to everyone's attention that they're, they have not allocated any of their donations to help greyhounds to actually help greyhounds, um, you know, and then they hide behind, well, our mission is to end greyhound racing. Okay, that's fair. Well, the adoption group's mission is to adopt greyhounds. Now, I got to say, if, if these, these people, these organizations don't approve of Greyhound adoption, then don't have lists on your website because you, you can't have it both ways. Exactly. And it, here's something I want the listeners to, to understand. Greyhound racing and horse racing has oversight. There are commissions, there are departments that oversee it. There's rules and regulations that the people involved in the sport have to follow. They're highly regulated. They're inspected. There are people charged with this. There is nobody There are poppy inspections. I would like everybody to know that. They, they're they're poppy yeah. and they're not announced inspections. Yeah. There is no oversight of these people who brought about the destruction of greyhound racing and are also trying to destroy horse racing. There is zero let me repeat that. There is zero oversight of these organizations. There is no one overseeing them looking out for the welfare of the animals like there is in the sport of greyhound and horse racing. Let that sink in. And with with that, um, I don't know if TJ, if you have any other com or topic you'd like to cover on, cover up before we end the show or we can keep going on. Um, Again, I do want to thank everyone that is involved, you guys out there, every volunteer in the adoption world. You're doing a tremendous job. I know this. You know, Just with what's happening in Florida, it was going to make it a difficult job. And then now throwing COVID-19 and all the stuff that's going on here in the nation is making it even more difficult. Uh, it's hard when you, you're which, by lacking the way, funds. Which, by the way, um, is being celebrated by those groups who seek to end greyhound racing. Um, even there, they Kathy, have no compassion for the dog. About that. Can you say a little bit more about that? I have heard about that, and but I'm not very familiar with it because it. I have been busy with I have seen, moving the dogs. So, yeah, well, um, I've seen on various posts on social media that, you know, that with the tracks in Florida – closing due to, you know, sooner due to the, the virus, that this is even a greater victory um, for them in their wait a, mission. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that they're celebrating COVID-19 because it closed down they are celebrating the fact that, that That due to the virus, due this, thus causing the tracks to close um, sooner than their uh, announced closing dates uh, that were laddered to assist adoption going forward, they feel this is a an even better victory for the dogs because racing is over. They're not they're not factoring in the fact that 
again, the tracks were, were conscious enough to ladder their closures over the course of 2020 to allow the groups to absorb those dogs without, you know, massive, you know, confusion and hysteria and financial um, inability to do these things while the tracks and adoption work together to, to hopefully, you know, make this an easy transition. The virus blew those plans out the window and to those who sought to end Greyhound racing with amendment 13, uh, they, they think this is a cool thing, you know, Oh good. Uh, the racing is ending faster. That's a fact. Yes. Okay, so, but that doesn't so, mean it's so a the, benefit to the dog. So they're not happy with the fact that it was staggered so that we could absorb it there. This, this was just a, a good thing that made it didn't matter that it made it more difficult for the groups to move the dogs. But, exactly. but Tanya, that's per- not perfect. their mission. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's a, it's a perfect it's a perfect example of they do not care about the welfare of the animals. Correct. They just they Correct. just uh, this they, is. They got- it, uh, I mean, yeah, this folks. I'm just this taking is the type a second to absorb people. what I'm hearing. So the, the, yeah. I'm just it, taking a moment to absorb what I just heard. Yeah, um, I mean, I, and, and it's quite sad because the their their supporters who, you know, again, you 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 don't have to follow one line of thought. That's what makes us individuals. That's you know, it's not always a good thing to follow the leader. However. In this case, if you analyze it, how does this benefit an ex-racing greyhound if suddenly, you know, compounded with the virus, you have groups who were struggling to begin with because there were, you know, uh, breedings were down, this was down, there were not a lot of dogs in the system to begin with. Now suddenly there's going to be an onslaught. Not a hysteria that we can't handle it because, like you said, we're greyhound adoption. It's what we do. Well, but well, Kathy, let me the, Kathy, let me just jump in because I think we have a topic for next week. But unfortunately, we are running out of time. I do want to thank our right. engineer Aaron. You've done a great job again today. Our producer Tacy and our hero Baby Yoda. We love you, man. Um, everyone, and keep also, doing the best you can. Dr. Craig and, and Dr. Blythe. Yeah. Everyone, have a great weekend. Stay safe. Remember your social distancing. Hug the hounds of the world. Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.